This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, where we dig into one big story. Today is Monday, July 19th. Stocks are way down, COVID cases are way up, and we're focused on the future of DACA. On Friday, a federal judge in Texas blocked DACA, the Obama-era program that prevents deportation of undocumented immigrants who arrived in the U.S. as children. His 77-page opinion concluded the program was unlawful because it sidestepped federal rulemaking procedures and, once again, has thrown the lives of over 600,000 people into a state of legal limbo. Three things to know. First, this ruling does not mean we're about to see mass deportations. But it does mean that the Department of Homeland Security can no longer approve new DACA applications, of which there are over 80,000 pending, nor can it grant protections to said applicants. Two, DACA not only protects people from being deported, but it also allows them to work legally in the U.S., with those rights being renewable at two-year increments. Three, the judge's ruling is the result of a 2018 lawsuit brought by nine states led by Texas. It also comes just a year after DACA survived a challenge in the Supreme Court by a 5-4 to four ruling, largely because SCOTUS found that the Trump administration hadn't followed proper administrative procedure. The big question now, of course, is what comes next? Some of that will play out in the courts, as President Biden has already pledged to appeal Friday's ruling. But the big picture here is that most of the legal battles are the result of President Obama taking the DACA action unilaterally, rather than getting it through Congress. Democrats now have the numbers to codify this into legislation, at least in theory. So in 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios immigration reporter Steph Kite about her reaction to the ruling and where she thinks the legal and political battles go from here. That conversation in 15 seconds. We're joined now by Axios politics and immigration reporter Steph Kite. So, Steph, what was your first reaction when you saw Friday's ruling? You know, this is something that we were expecting people who cover immigration and people who um, represent dreamers. This was not a surprise. We knew this ruling could come at any time. But of course, we were all watching to see how this ruling would be made. And so the fact that at least people who are already enrolled with DACA are safe, you know, that's obviously for a lot of people that, that gives them some sense of relief. But it still impacts tens of thousands of people who have applied for the first time for protections through this program, who now will not be able to get those protections. And the judge basically saying that current or existing DACA recipients don't have to be deported right now, is that partially because he just knows it's going to be appealed, so it wasn't worth putting that into effect right now? Yes, partially because it's going to be appealed, but also, he, you know, the judge did talk about how much of an impact this has and how many people who are now protected from deportation and have work permits right now. So I think there is a sense of wanting to make sure we don't go back and forth on this issue just because of how many people depend on protections in this program. You said people were expecting a ruling soon. Were dreamers and advocates for dreamers expecting this ruling from this judge? 
Most of the people that I've spoken to were expecting the judge to say that this was not a legal program. And that's something that a lot of people admit and are wary of. And even though the Biden administration has said that they're going to appeal this, there's certainly concern that if this gets to the U.S. Supreme Court, we could actually see DACA struck down and see that it is illegal. And that is definitely something that people who are advocates for the program are concerned about. Which means that this really has to be, if you support DACA and want it to be permanent, it's got to be a legislative fix, correct? Exactly. This all comes down to Congress and Congress's willingness to move forward. And that's obviously something that I am watching really closely as we move towards reconciliation. We know that Democrats want to include protections for DREAMers in that bill, um, a way for them to pass it with just 50 votes in the Senate rather than having to get 10 Republicans on board. But there are some questions around whether they even can attach protections for dreamers, whether they can attach these kinds of programs to a reconciliation process, that's still up in the air. And so that's certainly something that we're going to see play out. And we're going to see even more urgency among Democrats and even some Republicans to do something about this population. I'm curious, this issue of whether you can include DACA inside this reconciliation bill, which is really kind of the infrastructure reconciliation bill, is that a decision that gets made by some sort of Senate parliamentarian? Or does that ultimately get played out in the courts? Just we get new lawsuits just different lawsuits. Yeah, this this will come down to the parliamentarian who will make the final call on whether they can include protections for DACA recipients and, and temporary protected status holders. And so that will come down to their decision there. And that's something everyone's watching. There are people who say that this should be included, that because you would need money for visas and programs, that this should be included. But there's also the other side saying that that's only a secondary um, reason for these protections. And that really comes down to immigration. Right, because reconciliation has to technically be tied to money. Is there somebody in Congress, and and actually I'll ask on both sides, on on the Democratic side and then also on the Republican side, who are the most important figures in either pushing for DACA to be included or to be stripped? Well, interestingly, Senators Dick Durbin and Lindsey Graham have teamed up on the DREAM Act several years in a row. So there actually has been bipartisan support for protecting this particular population. What really gets complicated is who they intend to protect. While Democrats are pushing for a broader protection for anyone who might be eligible for this program, Republicans tend to say, no, let's just keep the protections for people who are already enrolled in the program and don't allow people to continue to apply for this. So there is certainly bipartisan agreement that these people should be allowed to stay, especially people who have brought to, who were brought to the U.S. as kids and have worked and paid taxes their whole lives. There's certainly a lot of support for that. But the details is where it starts getting tricky. Is this something that you get a sense that people are really watching extremely closely or is it just oh, it's another legal fight? It's another lawsuit. It's another piece of legislation. Maybe there'll be an end at some point, but we're not going to focus on it or be too upset about it now. I think there's a little bit of both. I think these people have obviously been in a situation where where they don't have permanent residency here, where they are dependent on a program that was set up through executive action that has continually been in legal trouble. So this is not something new to people who are DACA recipients. But there is certainly a lot of energy behind immigrants who are brought here as kids. There's a lot of energy from the business community, from the advocate community, and they are paying attention. They're putting lots of money towards ads and putting pressure on Congress to do something. So while I'm sure there was not a lot of surprise that this is, again, something we have to deal with and that there's, again, a sense of urgency to pass something, there's also seems to be a lot of excitement to actually get something done permanently. We are less than a year and a half from midterms. And I know we're only, what, seven months from the last election or eight months from the last election. 
What's the general sense on the Republican side of how DACA plays politically in elections? You know, we've seen immigration really become a huge issue for Republicans. It's something where they think that they can really criticize the Biden administration over. But DACA is sort of a tricky one because it really is broadly popular. And even among Republican voters, they don't mind as much allowing people who were brought here to the U.S. as kids who have been working and living here for a really long time. That's not something that has a huge amount of opposition to. There are, of course, pockets of people who don't think they should stay. So I think it will be interesting to see whether Republicans end up kind of getting on board with allowing this population to stay and providing some kind of protection for them, or if they somehow turn it into kind of the other side of railing at the Biden administration for not being tough enough on immigration. Final question for you, Steph. If this gets included through reconciliation, whatever the specific details are, maybe think of it as being kind of broad. Does that end the court challenges that are currently out there? If Congress actually passes something that creates a program or officially gives the Department of Homeland Security the ability to protect these people, that should end a lot of the legal questions around this program, because most judges have agreed Congress can do this. Steph Kaitavaxios, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Dan. Welcome back. What we're watching today are U.S. and NATO cybersecurity officials who formally called out the Chinese government for its alleged role in a series of cyber attacks, including a huge one in March that exploited flaw in Microsoft's Exchange server. Specifically, the U.S. says it has, quote, high confidence that hackers tied to China's Ministry of State Security were behind that Microsoft attack, which impacted hundreds of thousands of small businesses and other organizations. The Justice Department today also made public grand jury indictments against four Ministry of State Security hackers for a multi-year campaign targeting foreign governments and entities. The bottom line is that today's moves ratchet up geopolitical tensions between the U.S. and China, although it remains unclear what steps the Biden administration plans to take beyond filing criminal charges against people who will never actually stand trial. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Sabina Singani, Justin Kaufman, and Alex Sugiara. Please be sure to leave us a review. And if you're not already subscribed to or following the podcast, do so. Have a great National Daiquiri Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another... Axios Recap.